1960s, marketing students around the world have committed to memory the four P's of the marketing mix. They are product, pricing, place, and promotion. But a lot has changed in the realm of marketing in the past 50 years. So do the four P's still hold up? Today we're speaking with Professor John Quelch of Harvard Business School. He's the former dean of the London Business School and SEBS, the largest business school in China. He's also a marketing expert and the author of All Business is Local, Why Place Matters More Than Ever in a Global Virtual World. John, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brian. I read a, a review of the book, and they said something that I thought really struck a chord. They said, this book comes timely to give us a much-needed intellectual cold shower in the hot waves of globalization. What drove you to write the book? The book is an antidote to the, the standard thesis that uh, globalization and global marketing is, is conquering the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, the world has become more flat uh, over the last uh, couple of decades. But the world is far from flat. And in the context of marketing, uh, probably 90% plus of transactions that are made in the global economy every day are really local transactions uh, between a buyer who's local and a seller who's local. And there really isn't an international ingredient uh, in many of these transactions. You have to be adept at both local marketing and at global marketing in order to succeed. Mm -hmm. And a good example of that might be uh, Real Madrid, the, uh, the Spanish uh, soccer team. A certain portion of their revenues come, of course, from uh, gate sales uh, for every match in the Bernabeu Stadium. And that's an important part of their revenue stream, but it's probably only about 10% of the revenue stream. And the other 90% of the revenue streams are emanating from um, media sales, in other words, sales of the uh, television uh, content that's associated with the matches, to a global fan base that stretches from uh, Asia through Africa, the Middle East, and uh, beyond. If Real Madrid didn't have this fantastic, enthusiastic body of local supporters, Pouring, in, pouring into the stadium uh, every other week and uh, um, shrieking their support and contributing really to the, the overall televised experience that the fan base around the world uh, enjoys. If they were playing in an empty stadium mm -hmm. with no local supporters, of course the, the proposition would fall down. So the local audience uh, benefits the marketability of the, the brand to a much broader audience worldwide, and at the same time, the global audience provides tremendous revenue streams that enables Real Madrid to go into the marketplace and buy top talent for its team. Mm -hmm. So the two groups of customers feed off of each other, and one can't get what it wants without the other being involved. Right. So... Technology has a big role to play in this because Real Madrid is, you know, they're situated in a particular place in the world. So the advent of the Internet, has that fueled the whole notion of place uh, in a much more virtual way? Well, most people, of course, um, think about the Internet as uh, contributing to the end of geography. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is, of course, true uh, that uh, one of the great benefits of the Internet has been that uh, people in emerging economies, for instance, can go online, access product choice, and check prices uh, of products in the international marketplace in a way that they couldn't uh, 25 years ago. On the other side of the coin, if you look at 
uh, the data regarding, let's say, uh, Facebook or Twitter uh, or other social media sites, you find that the vast preponderance of the communications on these sites are between friends who are within 10 miles of each other. Mm -hmm. So to that extent, the, the, the Internet and the social media are actually reinforcing reinforcing friendships, relationships, and commercial transactions uh, that are taking place locally. Uh, and so the Internet is both, again, a phenomenon that is aiding global marketing, but it's also greatly aiding local marketing as well. So there's a lot of contrasts like that that play throughout the book. You talk about the physical and the virtual. Can you break those down a little bit? Even in this virtual world, physical place is still very important. Um, and you can capture that in the question um, which we always ask people within a few minutes of meeting them, which is, where are you from or where's home? We're actually cognitively wired uh, to use place, geographical place, as a reference point uh, in many of the things that we do, uh, not just in terms of answering the question, where are you from, uh, and, and, and putting that pin in a map, mm -hmm. uh, but also in terms of the way in which we think and compare and contrast uh, phenomena. So yes, physical place is important, um, and even in a global economy where you're from, or indeed where some products are from, you know, whether it's Wisconsin uh, cheese mm. or uh, Angus Swiss steak chocolate. or Swiss yeah. chocolate and so on. I mean, there are numerous examples where country or place of origin um, is associated with a perceived value um, of that particular uh, commodity. If you look back in, in 1960 when the four Ps were first coined, I think by and large they were talking about placement on a shelf, you know, the place of a product in a physical environment versus place as a merchandising option in, in and of itself. Place typically was used as the surrogate in the four Ps for distribution, what is now uh, typically referred to as the supply chain. But it also did refer, as you correctly say, to the physical placement of the product on the shelf. and. All of, the, all of the meaning of place was really um, physical, mm -hmm. uh, and there wasn't, of course, any need for there to be a virtual element uh, to one's consideration of place. We believe that place is now very much more important as a key success factor in marketing uh, than it has been previously. Mm -hmm. And let, let me, if I may, just give you the example sure. of... Um, any multinational company rolling out a product in China, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the biggest challenge in doing that? The product innovation has probably already been done. Uh, the pricing presents a certain uh, challenge in terms of the affordability issue in a market of that size but relatively uh, emerging economy. Um, promotion, you can pretty easily do that in any marketplace. It's just a matter of figuring out what the uh, sweet spot is for the consumer in terms of positioning the brand. But actually, the biggest, the biggest challenge in launching in China is the distribution. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is threefold. First of all, the enormity of the market, uh, which is about the same geographical size as the U.S. Secondly, the dramatically fragmented nature of the market. Uh, there are really no national brands in China at the moment. There are certainly no national retailers. 
and uh, many companies have tremendous challenges in reaching anything approaching significant regional distribution, let alone national distribution. Mm -hmm. So when I was talking to uh, Mutar Kent, the uh, CEO of Coca-Cola, uh, recently, I said to him, just by chance, you know, do you know, do you know how many distribution points you need in China to achieve the level of distribution that you're aiming for? And the answer was 11 million. Wow. 11 million points of distribution, which is really uh, basically a military operation. I mm -hmm. mean, it, 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 it's of a scale of um, distribution penetration that has not heretofore been um, implemented. What are the challenges that, that China faces as it, again, tries to take its spot uh, in the center of the world economic stage? Well, of course, there aren't really any significant Chinese brands, uh, commercial brands that have established themselves on the global stage yet. Uh, what China has is a tremendous number of state-owned uh, companies that are enormous, uh, but domestic. So the global brands that are going to take off for China are going to probably come from the, the private sector, uh, not from the state-owned sector. Mm -hmm. So anybody who travels around the world uh, has probably had the same experience that I've had, which is that, you know, you're, you're driving through a major metropolitan area, and there it is, Starbucks. Uh, and, you, and you're looking for a cup of coffee. And, and I'm drawn to that because it reminds me of home. And, and Starbucks has done a, a great job of creating a very common experience for me no matter where I am in the world. How does that fit with this concept of, of local? Because it feels to me very much like they've replicated uh, the experience for me in a way that feels familiar no matter where I am. Right. So there's a commonality of interest that the core brand values uh, appeal to around the world. But at the same time, Starbucks has uh, a very acute understanding of how to adapt its proposition uh, to each place in which it's uh, located. Mm -hmm. Are there examples that you can cite of companies where their global strategy has really conflicted with their ability to have a successful local strategy? Well, I think you find this uh, particularly in product categories where there's a big gap between the uh, level of consumer sophistication in the developed economies where the brand may have originated and the emerging economies where the brand and indeed the product category may be quite unfamiliar. Certainly the world is flatter than it used to be, uh, but from the point of view of a marketer, uh, operating either from global headquarters or locally in a particular country market, I can tell you that the world is anything but flat. He's Professor John Quelch from Harvard Business School. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure. Uh -huh.